Well, good morning. So, as Doug has already said, I'm Willie, and if you've been here before, you know that I typically stick behind the guitar, and I'm pretty comfortable there. <laughs> Today, they allowed me to crawl out from there and, and get to teach you the Word of God, so I'll if you don't know me, I've been married to this beautiful lady, Sarah Jane, for 15 years. We have six kids, and uh, man, God led us to be part of this church plant. We are so excited what he's doing here. So excited to be with you guys this morning. And, um, you know, as I was preparing this message, I started reflecting on the how many years I've been doing this. Man, in 15 years of ministry... I figured I probably have preached somewhere around 600 times. <laughs> and as I thought about that number, you would think one would get, you know, a little more comfortable as they've done it that many times. And yet, every time I get the opportunity to teach the Word of God, man, there is a weightiness that comes upon me, just realizing that this is a special place, not to be taken for granted. And so this morning, we're going to talk about hope, and I'm hopeful that you will leave with hope. <laughs> and so we enter into this Christmas season. It's upon us once again, and um, hopefully everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Hopefully you ended up with plenty of turkey leftovers, and if you're like me, plenty of sweet potatoes. You know, we got any sweet potato fans? I could eat sweet potatoes like candy. Um, as you can see, the Starbucks coffees are once again red. That means Christmas is near. Everywhere you go, you're going to start hearing the jingle bells of the Salvation Army, right? And pretty soon, maybe the best part, the Christmas story will be airing 24 hours a day on TBS, and we're all laugh as Ralphie nearly shoots his eye out. We'll walk through department stores, and songs of a baby king will play above... Madness of shoppers trying to get the gift for their loved one. And if not already, soon you'll be bombarded with charity drives, jewelry commercials, 12-month interest-free financing offers, holiday suites, and all your worries will be drowned out by tinsel and Christmas carols, right? We'll be overwhelmed by this unexplainable feeling of Christmas, in 29 days, like Doug said, we're going to sit around decorated pine trees, we'll open gifts, we'll probably eat way too much, and we'll have a great time. And for the next four weeks, you're going to hear sermons about hope, love, joy, and peace. But on December 26th, we'll clean up our piles of wrapping paper, we'll vacuum the dead pine needles. And we'll wonder, how many more nights do I have to turn these Christmas lights on so that we don't look like the neighborhood Scrooge? Not, not long after the buzz settles, we'll find ourselves back into this reality that we live in a broken and hurting world. One that is desperate for something real to hope in. After the last carol has been sung, somebody's spouse will still have terminal cancer. Failing marriages will still be in shambles. Spouses will still be deployed in hostile lands defending our country. Starvation will still exist. Children will still be orphaned. 
Millions of babies will be aborted. Addictions will still be ruining lives. And this world is going to need something more than just a Christmas card. Fortunately, what we're talking about today is hope. We so badly want to believe that Christmas has made everything right. But if we're honest, all we have to do is turn on the evening news and we realize we're still waiting. We're forced to admit that we're still waiting for things to be right. That we're still waiting for wholeness. I'm forced to admit that there are still dark places in this world and there are even still dark places inside of me that I'm waiting for the full redemption. We live in this paradox, this, this one that says that we have been made righteous by Jesus Christ, yet at times I still struggle to do what's right. That I am fully aware that I have been filled with the Spirit of God that gives us love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, long-suffering, and all the others, yet way too often I display the very opposite of those characteristics. And as depressing as this can sound to us, I believe that this is the beauty of Christmas. The birth of Jesus didn't just erase our pain. He didn't just erase our struggles or our suffering, but it embraces it. It points us to future glory, and it commissions us to bring others along. Christmas allows us to be honest. It allows us to be human. See, too, long, too, too often we feel this need to pretend as if we no longer have issues that need redeeming, that we've already attained the fullness of this salvation, and Christmas gives us the opportunity to hope. And not only to hope for ourselves, but to share this hope with the world. So as we dive into this this morning, let's uh, define hope, okay? You'll see it on the screen, I think. The definition of hope, the biblical definition of hope, I'll read it to you, is waiting for salvation with joy and full confidence. That's not Cayman's fault. I didn't put that slide in there. (laughs) You're doing all right, buddy. (laughs) don't go scrambling for that one. It's not there. We are waiting for salvation with full joy and full confidence. Hope is waiting. By the very definition of hope, hey, let me give you a, a, a little quick story. So 15 years ago, like I said, I married this beautiful lady, Sarah Jane. And as I stood on the altar, after proposing, after doing all the planning, after renting my tux, and I'm standing there, after every all the uh, party has come down, and I'm sitting there at the altar, I am waiting, fully expecting with joy that in moments this beautiful woman is going to be walking down the aisle. And we're going to commit our lives together. And as she did, she looked almost as beautiful as she does today. And I'm fighting back tears of joy. 
expecting the greatness of what is about to happen, right? We said our vows. It was finalized. We became husband and wife. The following morning, I didn't wake up hoping that Sarah was going to be my wife that day, okay? I was no longer waiting. I had attained it. So hope is waiting, and by definition, there's no longer need to hope for what has been attained. This word is very different than a wish, okay? So if you ask me, is it going to snow this week? I would say, well, I hope not. I don't know if it's going to snow or not. I have really no confident expectation in that. But I'm wishing that it doesn't because I work outside and I don't want to work in the snow. (laughs) If you would have asked me uh, Friday morning, are the Huskers going to win this week? I would have said, I hope so. But after Ohio State embarrassed them, I really didn't have full confidence that they were going to win on, Thursday, on Friday. It was a wish. I had a wish it was going to happen, but hope is confidently expecting it's going to happen. So as uh, Doug read Isaiah 25, I want to establish just a little bit of context, set the stage for what was going on in Israel just before the birth of Christ. Okay, so Israel is at the end of what is called at the 400 silent years. There, in four centuries, there has been no inspired prophecy to Israel. They haven't heard the voice of God in 400 years. They've been beaten down by wars and efforts of their own strength to reestablish. And now they sit under the Roman oppression. They they kind of operate as their own country, but they're really not. Rome, they're basically puppets of Rome at this time. They they control them. The temple's been destroyed and rebuilt about half a dozen times, and now the priestly line of Aaron that we we know is so important is now defiled, and it's filled with men that have political ambitions. They're at this point now where they completely realize their efforts are futile. The only hope for Israel at this point in history is the coming of the Messiah. And what were they expecting? We read it in, in Isaiah 25, that this one who would come and swallow up death, this one that they've been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years, they're waiting for him to come and save them, Right? They're expecting probably a warrior. They're probably expecting this great military leader who's going to build an army and just beat the snot out of Rome, right? The problem, as we all know the story, we've all seen the, the, the cartoons at Christmas time, we've all seen the movies. He wasn't what they expected, right? It, it was. Things happened a little weird, you know? This angel comes down to this teenage girl who's engaged to be married and says, hey, God's going to impregnate you. And we all know that story, and then he's born in a barn, right? And he is not this king that they were expecting. 
He was the son of a carpenter, just a normal, humble guy from Nazareth, of all places. And just to give you a little bit of background on the story, we all know the story, but you know, he starts his earthly ministry. Um, many people completely rejected him. No, you're not him. A lot of people were kind of entertained by the miracles and, and the teachings, and he starts to build crowds. And not long after that, this thing starts to actually gain some momentum. And the religious leaders of Israel, they're not liking what's going on. They want to put a stop to it now. He's messing up their traditions. He's messing up everything that they've become accustomed to. And so you know the story. The prophecy written in Psalms comes true. That the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Israel rejects him. They reject him. No, you're not the one. They humiliate him. They torture him. And in the end, they crucify him. See, the other way probably would have made a a better Hollywood movie, right? This nobody from Nazareth raises up, becomes powerful, builds an army, destroys Rome, and it reestablishes this great kingdom of Israel, right? But it's not how it happened. No army defends him, and this movement just seems dead. After years of waiting, Israel missed the Messiah because he didn't fit into their plan. So here's my question to you. What are you expecting from the Savior? Are you following Jesus or have you made up your own idea of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? I know that sometimes a lot of us, we cling on to scriptures like Jeremiah 29 and Romans 8 and we persuade ourselves that God has good and prosperous things for our lives, and and we hold on to those so tightly. But what if our idea of good is much different than God's idea of good? Let me give you a little illustration here. If you ever watched a football game, you see when the camera scans up to these coaches sitting way up in this press box, right? They're literally as far away from the game as they can be, and still being in the stadium. Why are they up there? Have you ever wondered why they're up there? They're up there because they see things that are going on that the coaches on the field don't see. They gain a much bigger perspective of what's happening in the overall game. And when they gain this larger perspective, they can greatly influence the outcome of that game. And much like this... Not that God is now deciding how he's going to make things work out. We already know God's already in control. But God has this bigger perspective of what good is. Um, What if God allows things to come into your life that we wouldn't consider good because he sees a much bigger perspective of the overall good plan he has for your life? Point number two is that our hope can be influenced by our perspective. Israel missed the Messiah because their hope was in an earthly deliverer. But God had a much bigger perspective, right? God's plan was to save the world, not just to reestablish this 
kingdom of Israel, but he, he wanted to save the whole world. So what if there's greater power in displaying love to a hateful world? What if there's greater power in displaying joy through suffering and peace through our trials and our struggles? I wish, as a human, that God would let us see this big perspective sometimes, right? Uh, if, If you've ever read Revelation, you remember God said to John as he was given the revelation, he said, come up here. Come up here, I'm going to show you what's going to happen, right? He let him come up so he could like see everything. And sometimes I just wish, God, will you just show me? Would you just show me what's going on? Because it's getting hard, right? But we walk by faith, not by sight. So this morning, let our hope not be in this idea of salvation, but in the Savior, Let our hope not be in deliverance, but in the deliverer. Let us fix our our eyes on Christ, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Because the story has been written, but the good news is we know how it ends, right? Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to read this to you and. I forgot my phone, so I'm kind of locked on time, Doug. Just kind of keep me, keep me on time here. Second Corinthians chapter 4, and let's start with uh, verse 6. I believe that we're going to gain some perspective out of this passage this morning. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So Paul starts this off by saying, we hold this hope, this hope, of the light that shined into darkness, 
We hold this hope in treasure, as a treasure in jars of clay. So think about that. A jar of clay. What is a jar of clay? It was the most common material used in a household good. It was temporary. It was fragile. Yet God says that he put that treasure in jars of clay, so we are the jars of clay. We are. Our bodies are that jar of clay. We hold that hope. Now, if, if I have a bunch of diamonds and some jewelry and a big fat wad of cash, the last place I'm going to keep that stuff is in a jar of clay, right? I'm going to put it in a safe. That would be the logical place to put those kind of things. Put it in a safe where no one can get it, where no one can take it. But God said he put it in jars of clay. Why did he do this? To show that the power is not us, but the power is God. The power of hope is not in the vessel, but in the eternal God. Point number three is this. Our hope is eternal. And that's where we're going today. That's really what we want to talk about is that our hope is eternal. And whether you like it or not, you are living in a temporary dwelling. If you don't believe me, go home and look in the mirror. If you're over the age of 30, you know what I'm talking about, right? If you're lucky to have it, your hair is probably going gray. Uh, you probably got a few more wrinkles than you did this time last year. Gravity is probably starting to play some cruel jokes on your body. And things that were once firmly in place might be sagging a little bit, Right? The truth is that our outer nature is wasting away. It's much harder for me at the age 37 to stay in shape than it was when I was 27. I don't recover the way that I used to. My knees hurt, okay? (laughs) When it gets cold, I have achy knees. That's what old people say, right? (laughs) And so we spend hours and lots of money trying to avoid the effects of aging, trying to stop this outer nature wasting away. We buy vitamins, supplements, right? We do anything we can to try to keep ourselves staying a little bit younger. But no matter how hard we fight it, time wins. <laughs> this, uh, this can sound like a depressing statement I'm about to make, but every step, every day, we take one more step closer to death. And as depressing as it can sound, it can even maybe seem a little bit morbid, but when we look at it through the proper perspective, this statement can be life-giving. This is the right perspective of a believer, See, Paul says it in verse 17. This slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. So point number four is this. Eternity is better. And how you, view, how you hold your hope in that jar of clay 
will depend on your perspective this morning. Do you really believe eternity is better? See, I, I have an iPhone 5, okay? Since then, we've had iPhone 6 come out, and I think there's even an iPhone 7 now, right? You know why I have an iPhone 5? Because I'm not really convinced the 6 or the 7 is really that much better, okay? I'm not convinced that it's going to make my life better enough that I want to go through the hassle of changing phones, changing plans, getting all my contacts figured out. I don't want to mess with it. So unless somebody comes and convinces me, hey, this phone is way better, I'm not going to change. (laughs) I don't really care. And the truth is, I think a lot of us have that perspective towards life. Life's okay, right? Life might even be good. And I don't really believe sometimes eternity is better. I have a great wife. I have beautiful, healthy children. We have good things going on. And sometimes I don't really care about eternity, if I'm honest. So here's the perspective that every day we take that step toward death we are taking a step toward eternal life. Jesus didn't come just simply to give us a good life, but to give us eternal life. Eternity gives us the true perspective. And if we miss this perspective, it's easy to put our hope in things that we can see. But these things are temporary. I don't know about you, but I get caught up a lot like the Israelites in building my own kingdom. We put our hope in careers, retirement plans, in relationships, and toys that we can buy and have fun with. We put our hope in building our legacies. And all these things, they promise satisfaction, and some of them might even be good things, but they all lead to discouragement. Never satisfy. We build our own little gods and we put our hope in these things. But if your hope can be taken from you, then the object of that hope was not worthy of hoping in. If your hope can rust or burn or be stolen, be eaten, be worn, be driven, be manipulated or be controlled or so on or so on, then it wasn't worthy of hoping in. When we misplace our hope, in temporary things, it kind of ends like December 26th. There's all this hype, and there was all this great feeling, and there was all these promises of fulfillment, but then at the end, it's just like, oh, it's over. Our hope is eternal, church. I believe that if we don't embrace the reality of our own mortality that we cannot fully appreciate the value of eternal life. Because the truth is, most of the time, life is pretty good. David dealt with this issue when he said, teach us to number our days, that I would gain a heart of wisdom. Our days are numbered, church. They have a literal number on them, and once that day is over, boom, you're done. And if we become content with this temporary life, we can find ourselves having little or even no impact on eternity. Why do we exist, church? 
why did we go to all the effort of Doug and Eric raising money, planning this church, renovating this room we sit in? Why do we lead small groups? Why do we invest our times in teaching kids over in City Kids? Why do we do these things, church? It's because there's an eternal, eternal value to them. It's because it's what we're called to do. It's why we're here, to impact eternity. If we put our hope in temporary things, we procrastinate or even forfeit our true purpose. Our purpose is, as verse 15 said it, grace extending to more and more people to increase thanksgiving of God. Church, we, we didn't plan a church just to have good children's programs and just to sing songs together. We did it because there's an eternal perspective that people in this city need hope. The people in this city are broken and they're hurting and they need more than just another church service. If we truly believe that eternity is better, we would invest in eternal things. So my question is, what is in your jar? Where's your hope? What is your treasure that's in there? Is it in things that you can hold, that you can touch, that you can buy? Or is it eternal? Do you believe that eternity is better? Do you live like eternity is better? So you might be thinking by now, what kind of Christmas message was that? Right? <laughs> Not your typical Christmas message. I don't apologize. <laughs> Here's what it is. Verse 14. That he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. That's the hope, church. See, without the resurrection, the birth of Christ means nothing. Our hope is not in the birth of a baby, but in the Son of God who raised from the dead. There's only one thing that's strong enough to put our hope in. That's the one who has the power to swallow up death. The one who has the power to save us for eternity. So as we prepare for Christmas this season, my prayer is this. That as a church, we can embrace the reality, not feeling the need to pretend like everything is okay. That we can acknowledge that we live in a world where there's racism, that there's sickness, that there's poverty, that there's pride, that there are all forms of evil and darkness. But my prayer is that we as a church, we can rise above that. And that we can offer the world and this city that we're in true hope of Christmas. Amen.